Sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me here. It's an honor. Um, I yeah. So my name is Jonathan Baker. I'm currently working as a postdoctoral researcher, uh, and I'm I'm working in China, a university in China currently. Uh, although I'm not there right now, I've, I've kind of been stranded away from the office for uh, most of the year uh, due to the situation, due to the border closures and everything. So that's unfortunate. But uh, essentially, I'm a researcher in paleoclimatology. Uh, I got my doctorate in geology, and the emphasis there was isotope geochemistry. We use you know the chemistry of rocks to reconstruct past climates. We do that so that we can understand what natural climate change looks like, and that helps us understand the modern situation and better forecast what may happen in the future. But, you know, before we dive into the uh, scientific stuff, I, I, I want to know your own personal beliefs right now, Jonathan, and I would love it if you could share your story as to how uh, you, you, were, you came upon these personal beliefs currently. Sure, I'll try, I mean, I'll try to be succinct. Um, and for me, I, so I grew up in fairly conservative communities in the United States. Uh, for I mean, my earliest childhood, I, I grew up in the church in a couple congregations. One was the Church of Christ, one the uh, Assemblies of God. So uh, these are very politically and socially conservative uh, denominations. I, I mean, that didn't phase me growing up. I didn't know anything else, and, and so that was just normal. Uh, I, that that was kind of the case for most of my life, and it certainly gave me a particular outlook on how we behave and maybe even politics that we. And in fact, I distinctly remember uh, around late high school age. Um, yeah, late high school age. That that was the Bush Gore election. So uh, I remember, you know, being in that community still, and people just very very worried. You know, what happens if Gore got elected? And this was just. Uh, I mean, to me, that was kind of normal. There was like this right and wrong way to behave, right and wrong way to choose your politicians and so forth. Uh, and I think, in retrospect, I was a bit naive. Uh, I, you know, I hadn't really looked out beyond that. Um, but it certainly shaped a lot of my thinking going forward. Uh, at the same time, uh, I always had an interest in science. Uh, I did well in math and science in school, and wanted to pursue that at some point. Though I was not quite sure what yet, you know. Uh, my, my dad was a science teacher and, and that certainly played into it. Um, and, and I mention that because, you know, despite growing up in these very conservative evangelical communities, which today are known for rejecting quite a few scientific consensuses, um, I, I, that wasn't really the case for me growing up. You know, I, I was never taught, you know, that, that the earth is young that dinosaurs did or didn't exist or, or if they did they existed coexisted with humans and uh, a lot of these other things that um, kind of you know paint this the, the modern or the current stereotype so so for me I mean I wasn't aware of this conflict until late high school age and having a lot of conversations with um, some friends I grew up with who were I mean their families were very much buried in that movement I mean what, what I'll call the young earth creationist movement you know, and so this teaches more or less that you know mo what we think we know about geological history and cosmic history is just uh, not true. Uh, they you know they believe that not only does the, not only does the Bible teach, but also in their in their view they think that the, the scientific scientific evidence is in favor of a, a very short history of Earth uh, and the universe itself, right? So they interpret 
geological phenomena as uh, remnants of Noah's flood, uh, more or less, and you know a lot of things that sound really strange to the average person. You know, anybody who's not come in contact with this. You know, but for me, I it, I didn't have any involvement with that growing up until mid to late high school. Then I had a lot of involvement with it. Uh, and from the background I had and the friends that I had who I, you know, very much respected and trusted, you know, I had no reason to doubt them. I, you know, I thought they were quite smart and, and they were going off to college and, you know, so for me it was kind of natural to follow along in that. In fact, that somewhat shaped my decision to go into the sciences. You know, I wanted to, uh, I mean, for me, like if this was God's world, then I want to know better how it works and how to learn about it on my own. You know, so I, I had this, you know, this faint dream that you know I could grow up and contribute to that somehow. Uh, you know, I'd say, I'd say uh, between high school and college, though, uh, a lot of things changed for me. You know, certainly my personal life and moving around and uh, new experiences and social circles and whatnot. Uh, I mean, at the time, I, you know, I, I studied philosophy a lot. I, there was a time when I really, uh, I, I, mean, I was into studying the philosophical arguments for or against uh, any religious belief, theism, atheism, etc. Um, I'd have to say that my interest in that has faded quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I became somewhat disenchanted with uh, philosophical arguments on either side. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of them. I, I think I understand them generally, but uh, it's, it's not been my niche. Uh, for me, I, I'm more interested in you know, studying, uh, uh, just looking for the common ground, and the common ground is, for us, I think, the scientific method. If, if you look at how it's applied throughout the world, uh, and many Americans really struggle to look beyond their own communities, let alone their own country, uh, if you look at how it's practiced throughout the world, it's, it's kind of a common method that we have. Um, certainly, the philosophical underpinnings of the scientific method uh, will vary from person to person. I mean, you may believe that we can know the world and, and conduct science and research because God made the world and because he gave it order. I mean, you might believe that that's not the case, that, that there is no entity that's responsible for it or, you know, providential over the world, and, and that will affect how you rationalize, justify the scientific method. But the point is we have that common ground, right? We can do science regardless of, of those beliefs. And so I've, I've kind of focused um, on that and... and focus a lot of my efforts too on trying to uh, you know bridge these apparent faith and science conflicts uh, so th I, mean, I told you kinda how I got into studying science in college or I wanted to major in it but I wasn't sure what uh, I for me it was a choice between biology and geology because those are the two uh, controversial disciplines for you know that that's conservative evangelical community. You know, they're skeptical of evolution, they're skeptical of geological history, uh, most in some sense. You know, not all of them are like Ken Ham-style uh, young earth creationists, but, you know, you see that, that those are the disciplines where people have a lot of doubts. Uh, so I wanted to understand better like, why people have these doubts, and and having that experience in high school, you know, having uh, talking with friends and you know, debating each other on what we thought the scientific evidence was either way. Uh, it, it gave me some insight into why people still find arguments persuasive, you know, why somebody can build a, a you know, so-called life-size ark in the middle of Kentucky and 
thousands of people will visit it and, and think that it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real good museum and testament to the scientific evidence for uh, the biblical history, right? So, uh, I mean, it gave me a lot of insights. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, but the experience in college, you know, getting to uh, learn geology, all the methods, and actually go out into the field and, and see those evidences, that was very eye-opening for me because, you know, coming into college, I thought, well, whatever, regardless of what I believe, there seems to be a good case on either side, uh, some evidence here against and for this position and that, and it just wasn't the case at all. I mean, it, it, it's not that, you know, the evidence for an old earth or a young earth was weak or strong, it's just non-existent, you know, there is, uh, you know, there's no evidence for that model whatsoever. And I, don't, I, don't, I know that'll sound pompous and arrogant, but that was the conclusion I came to going out into the field and getting to see it uh, in person. You know, I, I distinctly remember a moment when I, when I noticed that for the first time we were mapping out some rocks that uh, most people wouldn't think twice about. But the way that the rocks were folded and upturned and you could see uh, one rock formation contained pieces of another rock formation. So there had to be time for that rock formation to form, harden, deform, erode, uh, and you know, upturned so that it, it could become a source for the other rock formation. Like, I, I, seeing those in detail, and I, that may not make much sense to you, but uh, seeing those things in detail, I was like, wow, this is a, a very one-sided debate. But if you look at the public opinion, it's very different from the scientific opinion. And I wanted to understand why that was, and more importantly, how do we bridge that? You know, how do you reach out across to the other side and get people to talk about it and uh, be persuaded by evidence. So that's, that's uh, my story in brief. Uh, I mean, I did say I grew up in uh, those communities, and I'm, today I'm uh, somewhat active in the East, in an Eastern Orthodox Church, right? And that's uh, part of that has to do with my travels around the world and maybe social connections it had and, and things like that, but. Uh, uh, this, I mean, this is something that's driven my thought, driven my life and behavior at different magnitudes throughout. Um, but there are quite a few experiences. I, I mean, the biggest thing for me was living abroad. I, I did get to uh, live abroad for a couple years uh, in grad school. Uh, certainly changed how I thought about not just faith and culture, but uh, politics as well. Uh, it's you know, that, that was eye-opening and it gave me a chance to search back retroactively like through what I had learned and what I thought was a no-brainer and, and now it didn't <laughs> seem like such. And that, that was part of the process too, becoming disenchanted somewhat with, with uh, the, the philosophical debates that I had previously obsessed myself over and, and you know, to me it, it seemed difficult, to, more difficult to make cases on either side either way. So that's where I'm at now. I'd say, um, but my focus is uh, still trying to understand the world and how it works and trying to communicate to others why why that's important. And, and it's, a, it's a struggle, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah, and I have to be honest, like um, before I was uh, the ultimate young earth creationist dude, like, but I'm not anymore. But <laughs> yeah, to be honest, like I, I've read the, the 
the app called the Answers in Genesis. I read all the sites and I memorized all of them, you know. <laughs> and I and I and I I lived by this and I challenged my science professors in high, in college, asking them about uh, the arguments for young Earth and all that stuff. But I I soon came to realize that um, this is all just bullshit, you know. <laughs> Because basically, their their presuppositions for their scientific evidence is a literal interpretation of the Bible, you know, and so that to me doesn't really seem to actually uh, follow what the scientific method entails. Because um, the the scientific method for me isn't really biased in any way. It's just a process on how to. Uh, attain information or infer information from scientific evidence without any any flaws or the dangers of maybe religious thought right but uh, i want to ask you are you a theist right now or because you say that you're part of the eastern orthodox church oh yeah i was just going to say that the the way you put the scientific method it's it's a good third party Uh, it, it at least ideally, you know, and ostensibly it's, it's a third-party negotiator, you know, when we have conflicts over how we think the world should look. Um, I think sometimes we don't give enough credit, though, to how powerful those underlying beliefs can be. They do strongly determine what we think we can discover and what we shouldn't be able to discover through science. You know, and in, and for the, in the case of the younger creationists, I mean, in, in their minds, it's pretty clear. We know, um, they, they think that we know the history of the earth and if we discover something that's a million years old I mean that just can't be true like it, it, there must be something flawed in the method that we used to arrive at that conclusion and I mean the only way I can describe it is you know whatever your background is for those listening whatever your background is I mean if you imagine you get first access to a time machine you say I want to go back you know 60 something million years and I want to experience this part of the Cretaceous or, or what, I mean, you've got some weird interest, <laughs> some uh, distant past that you want to visit, and it doesn't work, and then, it, you know, you, you can't go back and say, well, I want to go visit the ancient Sumerians five, 6,000 years ago, and, and you go back, and, and you don't find what you think you'd find. Instead, you see this guy building a giant wooden boat and, and surviving a global flood, you know, and, and you witness it firsthand. I mean, in their minds, that's the level of verification that they have, uh, and you can't blame them for thinking about it. Like it, it, within their worldview, that's how it makes sense. And uh, if if somebody's that persuaded, like uh, as persuaded as if you saw it with your own eyes, uh, then it's easy to understand why evidence alone is is. Uh, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna struggle to persuade with evidence alone. So I found that uh, more effective means of opening the discussion sometimes is to just ask questions about how they read scripture and, and I, I know a lot of people won't want to do that maybe they don't care to study uh, the Bible or they don't want or they think you know it's uh, they know what's wrong with it already but if you, I mean if you just ask simple questions uh, say about you know have them tell you exactly how they read those narratives in the book of Genesis for example uh, and I've done this. Uh, I, I've spoken with several of Ken Ham's uh, partners, right-hand men, so to speak, at uh, Answers in Genesis. I've had these conversations with them, asking, you know, asking questions like, "Well, what, what was God doing on the eighth day?" Uh, and 
it's not a question that gets asked much, but it's kind of important because it goes to their method of reading. Uh, and the point is, like, if, if, if this is something that you, you think you know what happens day one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, but what happens on day number eight? Did he go back to work? Is he still resting? You know, what about seven days later? Is he resting again? Like, uh, ask questions that are genuinely inquisitive. I mean, you've got to be sincere and, and try to understand, but it, opening up these lines of questions uh, can get people to think more about the certainty that they think they have in their reading, right? And this is not just for the Bible, and we're not just talking, we don't just have to speak about Christians here, but anybody who uh, practices revealed religion and, and they believe that to be a source of genuine information, uh, it, and we should ask critical questions like that, and if they get to think that there's a source of uncertainty between them and the scripture that they're basing their belief on, uh, then you know, it's not just casting uh, meaningless doubt, it's you know, getting them to think more about uh, you know, how they read that. I mean, I say that because we, we talk a lot about uncertainties when it comes to reading uh, the natural world, right? We use the scientific method to read what's out there, what's happened, how things work, and so forth. And, and there are plenty of uncertainties that go along with that. You know, we, either we have lack of evidence or, you know, paucity of evidence, or we have confirmation biases and, and other factors, let alone analytical uncertainties. But I think people who are caught up in this worldview uh, that's very much uh, embodied by answers in Genesis, when they're caught up in that, they, they don't think so much about uncertainties on the other side when it comes to reading an ancient book from an ancient culture. And regardless of what you believe about the inspiration, the divine origin of that book, whether you think it is or isn't or anything in between, uh, there are major uncertainties when it comes to reading. I mean, that's a huge challenge to read and understand ancient literature. I think that was, you know, one of the more formative periods of my life is when I devoted a lot of time to studying uh, how literature works, you know, how to read a book. Uh, it's not something that we cover well in American schools. Uh, I mean, we, we read a lot of books, but we talk about how there are symbolism and metaphor and this and that, but we really don't talk so much about how to read a book and uh, the dynamics between the reader and the author and the text. Uh, they're, they're complicated. They're a lot more complicated than uh, most scientific fields, I would say. And and that you say you're, you're a theist, but I I would assume that you believe also in the natural processes by which the universe uh, came to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how how do you reconcile uh, a God created universe and uh, an evolution the evolu process of evolution and uh, the Big Bang and stuff? I don't know that there's anything to reconcile. I mean, in my mind, uh, I mean, one one question is, you know, what is what if anything is there beyond our experience, uh, and, and that's a very difficult question. One that I'm not going to pretend to have an answer for on how we do that. I, I just well, I'm not the person to talk to about that. But it, but. I mean, that's one part of it. Uh, the second is if we want to know, though, about uh, how that universe works, how our world works, and what's happened here, then, you know, this is, we can investigate it through that common scientific method. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything to reconcile because I don't think um, anything in 
well, in Christianity in particular, no, nothing in that revealed religion, in my opinion, uh, provides any constraints on what history really, I mean, what, what factually happened in history, uh, other than a few recorded things. That, uh, Can you talk about who, you're, who the God you believe in is? Is he Trinitarian God? Is he um, Spinozian God? Can you explain? Um, I mean, I would, I think I would generally defer. I mean, the, the Eastern Orthodox Church is pretty, uh, pretty basic and straightforward in its, it's a classic Trinitarian view um, of God that's it was defined, you know, classically as uh, having, you know, full knowledge, full presence, and and uh, apart from time. You know, that's I, I don't think I have any nuanced views beyond that <laughs> yeah but do you believe like for example uh, jesus is the incarnate son of god the the holy Spirit, father son yes of and I, th I think in the orthodox view in particular the incarnation is um very symbolic of not just not just some sort of uh philosophical truth about the nature of god the nature of jesus uh, but it's a uh, symbolic for you know the the role of the church in the world and then our role as believers and such I mean, that I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But is G but is Jesus really the uh, the ontological incarnation of the Son of God, or is he just symbolic? Um, I don't. I don't think. Uh, yeah, I I think that's somewhat a false dilemma. I wouldn't say just. I mean, well, by false, I mean a little bit reductive. Is he both the symbolic and the uh, real incarnation? I would rather put it that in way. In the flesh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, it, so when when you talk about, for example, salvation, what are your views on that? Like, for example, um, what part of the of humanity has been corrupted because of the fall? You know, uh, what are the doctrines you believe on salvation? I think a lot of scripture, in part, in particular, what people relate to the fall, so to speak, is a commentary on the uh, sorry the human condition, right? And, and that's a big subject for philosophers through time. Uh, commentary on the human condition in that recognizing this apparent dilemma that uh, you know we, we perceive ourselves to have something of a divine origin but uh, we, we also have these moral imperfections but also proclivities to uh, things that are quite evil right? we, that we all perceive as evil. Right? Uh, so uh, this, I mean, this is a real tricky subject for me. I, I'm hesitant to comment too much on it because I don't feel so confident in, in how I define it. Um, yeah, but um, like your basic understanding of how one can be saved, you know, it, it it's basic because, and I think you you should uh, share your knowledge on that in order to maybe help someone who who needs the salvation. Story well, I think that's that's a good point. Um, I, I I'm bothered by the the general picture that you know we've to, being saved is you know being taken off to heaven and not being saved is uh, being tossed to punishment. I I, I think uh, I don't think that ju does justice either to scriptural tradition or to you know theological traditions through time. I, I think in a nutshell or just to just to be as simple as possible, uh, salvation from God is rectifying injustice in the world. I think that's a big theme throughout Scripture that. Uh, Injustice is found on many levels, from the individual experience to a more cosmic level. Uh, you know, when you get to uh, the subject of, of suffering and and death and so forth. So rectifying those injustices, um, it uh, applying both to a future hope uh, and also a present transformation of the world. And in my 
you know, in my view, uh, a lot of the discussion of creation, for example, throughout the Bible is very much centered around bringing order and good to what otherwise is chaos and evil. Okay, so to be brief, I, I think that you're saying that salvation is establishing the perfect human society where there is uh, no injustice. In some sense, uh, yeah, and, and I think there's, there's certainly more... I mean, the, the, the idea that salvation is entirely focused on uh, what will happen to us in the afterlife and maybe after this entire world is destroyed or something like that, it's a somewhat Gnostic view. And for those not familiar with that, it, it, it's a view that makes this dilemma between the evil material world and the uh, more perfect and, and morally good uh, yeah, but um, I want to ask, like, because you believe that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, um, what was his purpose as to returning, he going here in the flesh, and suffering and dying on the cross and resurrecting? What was that that all about? Um, yeah, you're bringing all the the easy questions tonight. Huh? <laughs> just kidding. No, that's that. I mean, I don't mean to laugh it off. It's just a, it's a there's a lot to think about in there, and I and I've had hours of discussions before with friends uh, about this, and never felt too comfortable. I I think the most um the most profound uh, study of that topic for me was going through N.T. Wright's series on um, he had a three part series, and I think I've got it somewhere sitting on the shelf. But uh, the final one, the resurrection of the Son of God, it was called. Uh, I, I say that because he, he managed to, to to go through a lot more than uh, how that's more simply portrayed. Right, so the the, perp the purpose being yeah, but you can like um ex you can explain it like much more simply. You know that um uh, why did Jesus uh, uh, become uh, a human in the flesh? Because he had a purpose. You know, it's in the Bible. He wanted to uh, save humanity and uh reconnect a bridge bridge uh humanity and the father that's it it's simple you know and do you agree with that um reconnect say say that last part again reconnect humanity yeah you um like for example jesus said i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me do you agree with that well i think asking do i agree with it is difficult just because uh we can I mean, we could talk a lot about what we think that means um I mean, for me the I, I think the incarnation um at least for one part is uh, the inauguration of the promised kingdom of god one that sort of transcends this world and it's not tribalistic and, and such, but uh, opens up God's promises of salvation, which is not just a future hope, but transforming the nations. This is, is something that's extended to all the world and, and becomes more universal in scope in that sense. Uh, so something that's meant to spread from from this point, you know, the, the point being the incarnation of, this, of, of God in, in this person, revealing himself in a different way and, and fulfilling some hope of the past, but going from that point to to spread more universally to transform all of humanity, uh, I, I think that that's a big part of it. So announcing the kingdom of God, and, and if you look at the language in the New Testament, it's very much in line with the uh, cultural thinking of the time. Uh, I mean, this is written in the context of the Empire of Rome, where you have this magistrate centered in Rome, but most of the world is at the frontiers. And you know, for them, this was essentially the known world, the Roman Empire. Um, but what it meant at the time to be at the frontier of the Roman Empire is that you have this empire and culture uh, 
And when you're far out from that, uh, you know, in, say, Palestine, uh, you, you have this different kind of presence there. It's, it's uh, ruled only by local magistrates and, and little things that you can see. Uh, but the idea, of, uh, the idea was that, you know, Rome was the culture that was being brought to this outside world and, and transforming that world. So uh, the, the language of the New Testament sets up a, a very antithetical polemic against the Roman Empire, saying, no, it's not Caesar, but Jesus who was Lord. Uh, and it's the culture of heaven that we are tasked with bringing to the nation. I mean, the nations being the frontier of world of heaven, right? Yeah, but, but you know, like, to my understanding, um, Jesus said that my kingdom is not of this earth. And so, uh, God, Jesus' purpose was to establish his establish his kingdom. Uh, well, may, maybe in the future on this earth, but that um, to sh uh, share the 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 gospel to others. You know that um, when you die, uh, there is a heaven for you, and that and that I think that's the essential uh, me uh, good news of Christianity. Is that there is a certain future hope, but only in the afterlife, you know? But see, because if, if, like, for example, if I were to be a thief, you know, crucified on the cross next to Jesus, I would not have, I would have actually no future hope in a human society in this earth. And that hope can only exist in the afterlife. So, so. And when when Jesus said like uh, you will be with me in paradise, what do you think he meant by that? I I don't know. I wouldn't say confidently. I mean, I I think uh, the standard view is fine, which is to say that um, uh, that our soul, our being, is is still with the Lord after you know through death. That death doesn't destroy that, and and that there's comfort. Um, whether that means that uh, this person is conscious in uh, communion and, and until some future time or, or what it may be. I, I don't know. I wouldn't uh, speculate about the specifics there. But it, at the very least, I think it means that there's some comfort, some hope uh, through death. There's a hope of future life. Or So what is the hope of future life? Like we're going to be resurrected in the future by science or... Is it actually a concept of heaven where you will be comforted when and in the be in um, the presence of God? Yes, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean the hope is that uh, that God would bring life uh, to those who suffered death, and and uh, the, the the final. I mean the Bible ends with the vision of heaven coming to earth, and, and usually that's taken backwards, and people have this idea of everyone, you know, all all the all the saved on earth kind of leaving, vacating here and, and going up to heaven whatever that is or what it looks like but the final image yeah but um well uh, to be honest like to be honest my understanding of people leaving earth is simply a rapture but that um there will be an establishment on a new earth you know and that's the concept and it doesn't it doesn't it's not really mutually exclusive but yeah, I want to ask you then because you said that you believe that there is a the a heaven, right? So is there also do you believe in a hell also? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know how I would frame that, so I'm not gonna. I mean, at the very least, you know, do I believe in justice or or that I mean, rectifying injustice would would involve worse justice for those who did wrong to others, right? So um, beyond that, I'm not. I couldn't. I don't think I would say. Yeah, and but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. You know, like for example, it seems to me that in a way. Uh, you apply science, the scientific method in 
in studying the the earth and all of existence but when you for example uh you don't really use the scientific method when examining the bible as well you know it, it, you know i i i'm not uh, i'm not and not to be offensive bro but um it seems that in a way you're you have confirmation and bias in what you want to believe in terms of the spiritual uh, part of reality Concer- specifically what the bible uh, talks about to be honest, that's. But you could uh, say that you disagree, and I'm wrong. And I would love that. <laughs> well, I, that. I, uh, the methodology is somewhat different, and, and when when I say I'm I'm not sure, I'm not confident in this and that. It's for the same reasons that I would be, I wouldn't confidently speak about a scientific issue where we just don't have a lot of data or good ways to verify and test those data independently. Uh, I, th- I mean, when it comes to, again to reading, I mean, you're reading an ancient text trying to understand what people meant when they wrote it and at the same time trying to understand whether what they said is uh, or what they said or meant is the final word like that's I, I, that that's what I'm in that's in my mind that's what it means to apply the scientific method so to speak to reading these texts yeah but um to be honest like in defense of like people like Ken Ham you know um, I think that in a way, both of you have uh, different forms of intellectual integrity, you know, because for you, you have integrity in what the scientific consensus or the 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 the, evi- the scientific evidence in terms of evolution and natural processes tell you. This is what the evidence shows, and so you're honest about that. But in terms of what the, the- theological um conclusions we could uh, have from the bible and the story of jesus you know F- to be honest i think that people like ken ham have a good grip of what the bible really t- talks about and what the r- main message of uh jesus is or the theme of the biblical narrative is you know and so in terms of of for example ken ham I think he sh- these people show intellectual integrity because they believe what the what the real message of the Bible is and so they actually infer from the Bible because of their certainty in God's word and so they they reflect it into a literal interpretation of 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 Genesis henceforth their their understanding of of how the universe came to be now in, in in a sense i'm saying that they're honest in 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 how, and that they believe in the bible and that and so they they changed their beliefs of how the universe came to be but in in, in your case i think that in a way um you are simply choosing the 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 concepts in the bible that or the new maybe the new testament that serves you well in in your own personal belief system but you don't really you're not really honest in what the 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 bible is telling you i think because it's it's really pretty basic you know and that bible scholars even muslim scholars would agree that this is what the new testament says you know and it's it's indisputable you could put like a meta archetypical understanding of uh what the bible's message is but if you like get to the point of uh for example what the epistle of john says that this is this is the message you know that uh john 3:16 and all this stuff and 
Yeah, and that's what I think. That's my opinion, you know, but I could be wrong. I, no, I see where you're coming from. And it's easy to look at somebody like Ken Ham and say, well, at least they're, they're being consistent. If they set it out, this is how we read and understand, and, and this is the conclusions we come to, and then we're going to... But I think in the end, what they're doing is trading truth for confidence. They gain confidence, and they lose uh, any comprehensive knowledge or knowledge that uh, was verified along the way. I mean, I, I don't think it's confirmation bias. I mean, well, sure, everyone suffers from that, and I, I too, no doubt. But I, it's not confirmation bias that's driving what I'm reading from there. Rather, it's it's me throughout the years. Uh, what, what's missing in, in the conversation, we can't go into so much details, uh, the years of, of going back to those scriptures where I thought it was really simple and clear what that meant, uh, and, and finding out that it wasn't when we tested it. And by testing it, I mean by going through uh, basic literary, literary analysis and cultural analysis and, and trying to understand uh, the context of when and where that was written and how people have understood it through the ages. It's not, there's no you know, indisputable message of what any part of the Bible says. That's, that much is true. Uh, that's the one thing I'm confident in is it's not an easy text to read. Uh, I mean, no, no text outside of me. It's it's hard enough to read uh, what people write today in, in your own cultures. Uh, so, th but this is far removed from us, and, and it takes a lot of work. So I think, I, I think what people like Ken Hammer do it is they are uh, oversimplifying the message because it makes it easy to be confident. It makes it easy to say this is how it is. You're either with us or against us. Um, I, there was a time when I felt like that too, uh, but. I, it, it took a lot of humbling experience uh, through, through study to realize that it's not that straightforward. Um, you know, so when you're asking about doctrines, for example, the doctrine of hell, I don't think it's so straightforward as like, oh, that, you know, it talks about hell here, and that means that there's some, some place out there where people suffer eternally or, or, or whatnot. It's, I don't think it is. Uh, and, and sure, a lot, of, a lot of folks would disagree with me on that, but quite a few would agree that it is not that straightforward. Uh, and and that the references to this place called hell, or, or which is, you know, described by several different words in in the original languages, uh, that yeah, that it's quite nuanced and and sometimes uh, mixing symbolism with uh, you know purportedly factual things. Um, yeah. Okay. And um, I I just want to ask then, um, when you talk about, for example, Adam and Eve. Did they exist, or did we evolve, and the humanity just emerged to have this sort of spiritual connection with God that was necessary for Him to actually um, become flesh in order to save mankind? Because man is somewhat special. The way I put it is that Adam and Eve existed because the nation of Israel existed, at least from a textual point of view. When the story of Adam and Eve is essentially the story of Israel. Uh, finding its way and, and, and coming to a certain point. Uh, that, that, that narrative in Genesis 2 and 3 is cyclical and it keeps getting echoed in, uh, throughout Scripture. Uh, we, we, because it's placed at the beginning of the canon, we kind of think as though, oh, this happened first and later these other things happen and harken back and kind of remind us of that original story in the Bible. But that's uh, not really the case in terms of the order in which things were written and uh, historically when they were written down relative to what happened. Uh, but but the, the story, it, I mean, the narrative itself 
is, again, more or less a commentary on the human condition, trying to understand what it means for, uh, for humanity to have this, you know, somewhat design, divine spark being somewhat set apart from, but still very much part of uh, the, the, the world that we experience, right? So I'm, but to answer your specific question, I, no, I don't. We're we're not descended from a single couple. Uh, I think that that is quite clear. I mean, that, that's well established scientifically, and I don't think it's even remotely demanded by by reading the Bible. I don't think that conclusion is uh, demanded by the text. So I wanted to ask then, um, um, in terms of is this mainstream, this mainstream belief system, uh, or in the Eastern Orthodox Church, or is this just your personal view on it? It's it's certainly more mainstream in the Orthodox Church. I mean, throughout throughout church history, uh, it was kind of assumed that yeah, there was this couple that God made, and okay, everyone. Okay, then I'm ready, <laughs> I'm ready to convert. I'm ready to convert. But but it, no, it's a good question because a uh, a lot of a lot of the views on Adam and Eve in modern theology that developed, I mean, and, and especially the debate today about the historical Adam and Eve, uh, a lot of that derives from a more Augustinian understanding of what Genesis 2 and 3 meant theologically. Uh, and Augustine's writings weren't nearly as influential in the East as they were in the West. So in the Roman Catholic and Protestant churches, there's a lot more emphasis on, and it becomes a much more difficult issue to reconcile. With, uh, with what we know about human history and human evolution. In the Eastern Church, not nearly as much, because for them the story is, uh, it's, that's not the significance of the story, that we've, you know, somehow, that something happened to them and we biologically inherited this uh, evil nature or fallen nature or whatever it may be. Uh, so, you know, I, I hope I'm somewhat accurately reflecting the, uh, the Eastern Orthodox theology on this point. Actually, uh, you're, you're one step uh, uh, one step closer to converting me to uh, Eastern Orthodox Christianity, to be honest. like um, I've been asking these questions, and uh, your view seems, seems to actually be synonymous to what I currently have, and I might... Uh, can you, if you could share some like links to the, base, the basic beliefs of Eastern and Orthodox Church, I would be happy to convert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Orthodox is interesting that um, they don't practice, I mean, it's not such a theologically driven faith as the modern Catholic and Protestant churches. I mean, theology as a discipline, as a practice, and uh, a lot more modern than we tend to give credit. I mean, if you look at the ancient Jewish texts and such, they... Uh, they're not theologians in the same way. It's, it's not practiced as such. So I think in the, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, it's uh, driven less by dogmatics and theology and, and more so by experience and, and uh, pedagogy. And I, I, that's one thing I liked about it. It, it gave a different kind of experience. Uh, and and it, uh, it, it was certainly more conducive to, like I said, like living out my career, my profession, which is exploring the world, you know, uh, and so, we, again, regardless of what you believe about where things came from and, and morally what, what it is and so forth, like, uh, we all benefit from knowing more about the natural world, and so that's, that's what I want to do. I, I certainly have a lot more freedom um, in do. I, I feel like, it, again, like it's more conducive for me being in an Orthodox congregation because uh, you don't have the same kinds of 
conflicts that arrive. Uh, you get more of this. The, the conflicts tend to arrive again when we when people read scripture, whether it's in a literalist or any other view, uh, they read it and and they say, well, this is reality. This is a physical reality or historical reality. So again, we can't inquire about this. It's it, we have the answer, <laughs> uh, and no deviating from that. Um, I, that was a struggle for me, uh, certainly in my twenties, mid twenties. Um, you know, having faith leaders, clergy who, I mean, honestly, more or less disowned me because I didn't hold that historical view of uh, Adam that I acknowledged that I acknowledged human evolution. Like I, that's very well established and understood where the human species came from and and all our. Uh, all our cousin subspecies along the way, like, and and this is a fascinating story. Yeah, and um, Jonathan, I just want to say that um, I want to like make another a second episode with you because I I want to keep talking with you, but um, we're closing in on an hour, and that's the max for my episode, and maybe we could like uh, cl- uh end this first ep- first part, and then we could uh, move on to the second. So um, for is that okay? Okay. So the uh, for the first part, I want to ask uh, uh, to end this uh, last uh. To end this episode, I want to ask you one question. Um, why is the Eastern Orthodox Church the right church for you, specifically for you, and why did you uh, convert to it? For me, uh, again, there's a lot more emphasis on experience. In fact, if you go to an Orthodox service, it's all about the experience. Um, uh, I was so used to churches with white walls and empty halls uh, that it was it was meant to portray you know the transcendent <laughs> you know so we don't have there's no artwork there's no you know very limited on music and, and such the orthodox experience was very much experiential from you know the smells the sights the you know the candles uh, the artwork was always pedagogical and that it was it was there to teach you so that even if you couldn't read if you were completely illiterate you can still read the story that they were trying to teach um, that was I, I remember this experience in Moscow, uh, touring a cathedral there, and just going through. But you go through the the lower halls and whatnot, and it's like, man, the, the entire story uh, of this faith is is written on the walls, literally, uh, in in images, uh, and that I mean that was the big thing um, that there there was a very simple reverence to it, right? So not so much emphasis on. Uh, uh, you know, sermons that were framed in a way uh, more like political speeches, and I, I try to say that in the most loving tone as I can. But I, you know, I've had others uh, from outside the U.S. come to uh, evangelical churches that that I, you know, communities that I've grown up in, and and when they heard it, they're like, man, this sounds like a speech that Lenin would give. Not the content, but just the the tone of it, the way people respond to it, and such. Uh, and, and was yeah, it was very different um, in that like it, there was a simple reverence to it. You know, we're we're here to contemplate the human condition, contemplate our relation to God, uh, and contemplate uh, what we ought to do <laughs> uh, with our community and and so forth. So that there, it was that simplicity in practice that uh, that kind of attracted me to it. That and of course some of the theological issues that I was really frustrated by. In the Protestant churches and evangelical churches, where you know they were telling me like, "Oh, you want to be a scientist, but you can't, you can't believe that we have anything to do with global warming." And then, like, well, come on, you're better than that. And I was thinking, like, why would, 
why would a clergy tell me that, you know, that, and interrupt any faith experience with, uh, I have to deny part of what I know about how the world works. Okay, and but um, before we uh, end this episode, like, um, I want to establish as to why do you believe there is a God, you know, and what are your arguments for it? I don't think I want to put that into writing, so to speak, just because I, I don't know. And, and like I said, there was a time in my life where I was I felt very confident in, in various arguments. And I, I in where the most persuasive to me were that uh, epistemology didn't work without this divine foundation. But I, I feel less confident on any argument or, or again. Yeah, but let's say just an, an inf informal answer, you know, the, not really your official one. Why do you think there's a God? But as simple as possible, I, I think uh, without, if, if that's not the case, then uh, to me, life and reality make less sense <laughs> or don't don't make so much sense. I, I, that's, I know that's not, um, not in-depth or persuasive at all, but uh, that's, that's the basic line of reasoning. Or that goes through my head, uh, and it's not something I think about. It's uh, like I said. It's as long as I've, it, as long as I can remember, I've been in that community, and and this was always presented as a common reality, and I, uh, you know, kind of explored the arguments that people use. But I'm I'm not sure how I would reason it if I want to make the case to others. I mean, it, for me, it's like if if I, uh, that's not. I don't want to persuade people, uh, or I I don't want to try to be persuasive on. on on something like that, I'll, I would, I'll stick to the parts where I feel confident and, and where I have my expertise and, and I'll, I'll try to make arguments for my cases there. Uh, this is not one of those uh, areas. So for me, um, uh, part of it's experiential and, and some of it's drawing from various philosophical arguments. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if I'm, if I'm wrong about that, and, and I may be, then, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's, it's made the way that I behave and treat others worse uh, or it's, it, I don't think it's made the way I practice my profession worse, uh, quite the opposite. So, yeah. <laughs> that's so that's the end of it. Thanks for tuning in guys. This is your host Elmo Ador Jr. and thank you for listening in and please subscribe Please follow us on Facebook. Please, please follow this. Please. Thanks. Thank you.